You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Who is this lady? Why is she here? My name is Tina. It's good to meet you all. If I haven't met you, if I have met you, hi again. And uh, I'm just going to set myself up here because I still have handwritten notes. Like, that's a thing. I'm trying to do this because apparently handwritten notes allow you to retain memory better. And all our scrolling and texting doesn't. So let's hope that the notes stuck and... uh, Patrick is not here today, so this is uh, kind of risky. So if you have any complaints about me, please send them to him. Don't put it on Google. Talk to him first, okay? So before I get started and talk about discipline, which I chose to speak about by myself when we were asked to pick like verses about it from Proverbs as we talk about wisdom. And so, you know, it's, it's a little daunting to talk about discipline, but I really believe that in these verses there is good news of the gospel. So I hope that you will open your ears and your hearts to hear what God may be saying to you today. So before we dive in, let's pray. And uh, yeah. Father, thank you so much for this space. Thank you that you are at work in our lives, even when we feel it and when we don't feel it. And thank you that in you we live and move and have our being. And um, I just pray, God, today, whatever it is you're already speaking through the worship, through just us, the, the place we find ourselves coming into the space, Lord, would you just like illuminate your word and let our ears hear what, what the Spirit is saying? So would you just use my words to speak and would you uh, be present with us as we acknowledge that you already are. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, as some of you uh, may know, I'm one of the like unofficial elders to be elder in September. And so um, if you don't... Oh, thanks. Uh, so that that's kind of what I am like doing here, up here, I guess. And uh, I thought it's nice sometimes when you like hear someone speak from up here to know a little bit about them. And I I do think like I don't know everyone here. And so I I collected a few facts about myself just so you are aware of like a little bit about me before I talk to you about discipline, okay? So number one, I am a city girl as city girl like that, that phrase can be. So I grew up in overseas in Hong Kong. I spent many years of my life there. And then I moved to a tiny little town called Los Angeles after that. And I lived in the suburbs of LA for 14 years. Oh no, I lived in the suburbs of LA for 12 years and then in the city for two years. And the the 12 years were excruciating because they were just too like slow and painful for me in the suburbs. So that's like my city, like thread pulling through from Hong Kong and then I moved to New York. I've been here almost a decade, it'll be a decade next month. 
And uh, yeah, I don't know if I can ever live outside of a big city, but it shapes a lot of who I am. So just thought I'd tell you that as I kind of go into this teaching. Um, another thing about me, and this, this word actually really helped me to like embody who I am. There's the term exennial, not to be confused with zennial, which is like people born kind of in the Gen Z millennial era. I'm born in the like Gen X millennial era. And the most Gen, yes, shout out to, to us exennials. And the most exennial thing I've ever done in my life is take a like printed photograph that my mom had and started like zooming in and out of it with my, like actually on the, paper, on the, on the printed photograph because I totally embody like those two generations. So that's the second fact about me. And a third thing is that I love movies. I love film. I love, and, and in particular, I love the feeling of going to a movie theater, air-conditioned, cushy seats, hopefully. The recliners are like the best. And I love, and in the past when I drank Diet Coke, drinking like bubbly Diet Coke, and just kind of being absorbed and immersed in a theater. It's just like the, it's such a like joyful experience for me for some reason. And so recently when a friend asked me to go to the Greenpoint Film Festival, which is a thing, I live in Greenpoint, I didn't know it was a thing. If you didn't know, it, it, I think they're doing another one next year. Uh, in the Greenpoint Film Festival, one afternoon, there was a collection of shorts that they featured, nine to be precise, around the theme of cultural identity. And so being an immigrant, being, um, you know, having lived in cross-cultural, like, you know, context most of my life, I was like, I would really like to see these shorts. And what's interesting is out of these nine shorts, about half of them had something to do with family which is, you know, very much a, a part of the immigrant story, but every human story, really. And three of those nine were specifically around this idea of, like, the parent-child relationship. Two of them I really liked. One was, like, kind of unredemptive, so I didn't, but they all still talked about this parent-child relationship. And I bring this up because today's text and the verses that I selected have talk about discipline, but they also talk about discipline in the context of this parent-child relationship, son and father to be specific. So I don't know if the verse is up there, but if we go back to it, I'm just going to read it once. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And the reason I brought up the shorts that I was like mentioning is that we in this modern era that we live in, the family relationship, the parent-child relationship, one of the stories was actually about a father-son specifically, are so, still so pivotal to our uh, modern context that what we read in Proverbs, I think, is very relatable. And I want to dive into that with all of you and um, dig into what this might have to say to us in, you know, 2023 in New York City. So as we've been going through this wisdom literature, you know, I, I selected these verses when I was asked to do this because um, I feel like there is something really special about what and how God 
disciplines and corrects and works with us in our lives. And I think it's undergirded by some foundational truths. And so I'm gonna dig into that and then we'll talk about discipline and like what that actually means and doesn't mean. So to start off, I want us to just sit in this idea that we are loved by God because that is what the text is telling us. I'm not just making that up to make us feel better, but it is saying that. So the first point is that you are loved by God, and I don't mean that in a trite or, you know, uh, theoretical way, but God truly loves us. The gospel is an invitation to understand that we are loved and known by God. So a little bit about a little bit more about my story is that I grew up in church context my entire life, and my faith became real to me at a very young age. And I definitely believed in God and Jesus. I accepted Christ. And uh, as a young child, I was very um, curious about God and how he might be working in our lives. But it wasn't until I was a teenager that I, or preteen teenager that I started to experience God. And I would say probably until I was about 15 or 16, when I really kind of had this idea of what it was to be known and loved by God. And it was kind of life-changing and, and, you know, something I can't shake off. When I was about 12 years old, and it was a time when, you know, like with a lot of angst in my life, I had a very formative experience uh, with God that I want to share with you. I was at a, like a church youth, you know, gathering, and at that gathering, uh, I, rem I don't remember what exactly happened. I think there was like a speaker, blah, 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 you know. At the end, I remember sitting around in the front with like two or three friends of mine, and we were just all crying. Like, I don't know why we were crying. And, you know, we can blame, you know, hormones, but I think it was more than that. It, it, we, we were just like, weeping and uh, our youth pastor came to us and, and said like I think you're, you're being like broken and touched by the love of God and when he said that I was like it really resonated and so I had this experience of the love of God that kind of like kept happening in my life but it wasn't like every day. It wasn't, it was an occurrence, but it wasn't an everyday occurrence and so what ended up happening I think in my um, understanding of God's love for me is that I, I developed what they call like an anxious attachment if you are familiar with you know attachment theory so it was like he loves me he loves me not he loves me he loves me not if I was good and I was doing the right thing and I like could hear God's voice or like someone said something about me that was good he loves me and in my dark places and the troubles and I didn't know what was happening it's he loves me not and so when I made that move from Hong Kong to LA at the tender age of like 17, I think I left home like two months, three months shy of my 18th birthday. I moved like halfway across the world, having never been to the US. It's a whole other story. Uh, when I did that, you know, there, like the life experience and things that I carried with me followed me to this new place and I didn't have the same church community, I didn't have the same family environment, I didn't have the comforts of home and I, I got into this very dark place in my relationship with God and it really um, unearthed a, like more anxiety, it kind of like 
push the anxious attachment even more. And so one thing I did during that time is to, I started grounding myself in this, um, this practice of like naming and believing what God says about me even though I don't feel it. And so what I did is at one point, there's this verse in 1 John 4.10. It says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so what I did is I printed it out on like really pretty paper. And then I like put it in this frame that was like wooden, dark wood, like rustic, like a cross. So that it just all spoke to me. And I put it in my dorm room. And I remember looking at it again and again and again and like saying those words out loud because I didn't believe it and I felt like I had to earn God's love and that was like a visual reminder of the fact that like I am loved by God. And, and I, I think some of us would find ourselves there. I want to say that doing that magically changed my ability to believe that God loved me, but it didn't. It took time. It took healthy community. It took, you know, like time in God's presence. It took me spending, you know, alone time where I sat with myself and my inadequacies and recognized that in that place, God loved me. And so you're probably asking what this has to do with Proverbs and discipline and correction and God's leadership in our lives. And I want to say we cannot have an understanding of God's correction and direction in our life and discipline unless we stick with that foundational truth that God loves us. So as we sit into that thought, this is so primary, I wanna take us a little bit deeper because to know that you're loved by God is one thing, but to know that you are loved as a child is another. So the next point is you are a child of God. And I want to read this uh, quote. We'll just skip past the next, the verse, the emphasis if you see on the next slide is, is the verse again. It just says, you know, my son and the father and the son he delights in. So I want to read this quote from Frederick Buchner, who's a author. You may have heard of him. In a, in a collection of like uh, reflections, he writes that we are children, perhaps, at the very moment when we know that it is as children that God loves us, not because we have deserved his love and not in spite of our understanding, not because we try and not because we recognize the futility of our trying, but simply because he has chosen to love us. We are children because he is our father, and all our efforts, fruitful and fruitless, to do good, to speak truth, to understand, are the efforts of children who, for all their precocity, are children still in that before we loved him, he loved us, as children through Jesus Christ our Lord. So for us to sit in the understanding that God loves us, we actually have to like, I don't know if it's dumb ourselves down because there's nothing dumb about being a child. Uh, in fact, Jesus says we have to be like little children to receive the kingdom of God. But everyone here who wants to accept and receive the love that God has for us uh, is invited to 
come to the level of a child to believe that God loves us just as we are. And that is very difficult, whether it's our children, like our childhood background, whether it's our life experiences, whether it's our, you know, relationship with authority figures, all those things impact how we see ourselves as a child and it impacts how we receive God's love for us. You know what's so beautiful about the gospel is that not only does God make himself known through the Old Testament as a father, but Jesus one of the triune, you know, one person in the triune God comes in the form of a man and relates to God, the Father, and invites us into that relationship. So the, the object lesson is, has come to earth, and there is an invitation, and there is a way as we accept Christ in our lives to relate to God, the Father, in the most perfect way, the way Jesus did. I find it remarkable that Jesus, I don't know if you've, in scripture, if you've read in the gospels, Jesus like ducks out a lot and just like hides and disappears and then comes back and like, you know, you wonder kind of what he's doing. Where is he going? And the scriptures tell us that he's going to pray. He's going to spend time with the father and he relates to God and calls God Abba. Father, this very relational, very colloquial almost, very intimate way of relating to God. And just because we don't know how to be a child, it's okay because we follow Christ and he teaches us how to relate to God as our Abba, Father. So I want to go through this verse in Romans 8, 14 to 17. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So you are loved by God. You are a child of God, and Jesus makes the most perfect way for us to embody this reality even though we're kind of like on the way there. Like we're not all there, right? None of us are. But we, through Christ, can cry out to God as our Abba, Father. And those two things I think are foundational as we talk about this like difficult topic of discipline. So not, not, a, not a fun topic, discipline. What, why are we talking about this? I think... I think, like I said, I think there's good news in this, and I want to share a little bit more about what discipline is, as we understand in the scriptures, and what it is not. So what it is, what it isn't. So let's go into what it is. So if we keep going, um, if we look at the verses, it talks about discipline and rebuke. Those are the two key things that like, are the scary words up there, okay? And in discipline and rebuke, you know, 
there is a feeling of warning or a feeling of maybe harshness. And I wanted to go into the, the Hebrew and dig a little deeper into that. And I think Catherine last week said, like you don't have to be a Bible scholar to like get the original root meaning of the words. It's true, I looked at Google and I found them. It's really, it's there. So discipline, let's talk about what that is. Chastening, chastise, correction, discipline, instruction, punishment, reproof, warning, oof. Uh, rebuke, argument, rebuke, reproof. I want to go through what those two things are. So let's talk about discipline first. I really like analogies. And uh, so I'm going to go into discipline by t- giving you some things that are, uh, you know, I'm losing the word now, Uh, analogous to discipline. So discipline feels like the warning you give to your child when they're about to put their hands on the fire and you pull them away. Discipline feels like taking away the cookie jar from a child who wants to eat all the cookies, hiding it in the drawer up there that they can't see, and then they just cry and cry and cry because they want the cookies, but you don't want them to get a tummy ache. Discipline sometimes feels like not scrolling on Instagram for hours and hours a day because you need to go for a walk and get some fresh air. Discipline sometimes feels like the times that I keep watching TV and it's 11 o'clock and I fall asleep on the couch and then I wake up and it's 1 a.m. and I have to wash my face, brush my teeth, and I should have turned off the TV at 10.30. Discipline sometimes feels like saying no to the things I want to say yes to and yes to the things I want to say no to. Discipline sometimes feels like training boot camp for things that I don't want to be trained for, I did not sign up for, but actually prepares me for difficult situations ahead. Discipline sometimes, and this feels very real to me, Uh, in some of the life circumstances I've had, it feels like the delays for things that we want and things that we don't understand. And in those delays, sometimes the things that we get when we do get them are so much better than what we expected, but when we really wanted them, it felt very difficult. I wanted to move to to New York City many years before I did, And sometimes I think, actually not sometimes, now I definitely think, I thank God that I didn't because it would have eaten me alive had I moved here at a different time in my life. Discipline sometimes feels like that solid core class that you went into and three minutes in, you hate your life and you want out now. But you stay because you know it's gonna do you good. And maybe after a few tries, it's going to feel easier and better. Discipline is not Stockholm Syndrome, but it is a willing surrender and acceptance to what's better for you. Let's go into rebuke. What is rebuke? Reproof. Argument. 
In our culture, in case you haven't noticed, we don't do this well. It is very difficult for us to agree to disagree in a way that's like civil. And in preparation for this topic, and this understanding of rebuke, I looked up, you know, some articles online, and I read about the annual meeting of the Association of American Medical Colleges, which I have no relation to at all. But last year in November, 4,200 medical professionals, AKA really, really smart people, went into a room and had uh, Cornell West, if you know who Cornell West is, a professor of theology at Union Theological Seminary, and Robert George, a uh, conservative uh, political professor at Princeton, who are their good friends, they were featured at this meeting to help talk through this topic of civil discourse. Their friends, Cornell and Robert George, and Cornell West and Robert George, and they travel around the country, apparently, to revive the art of civil discourse. And I, I very much appreciate that because we, as a culture, have a very negative reaction when told something that we don't agree with, right? We don't like that. Don't tell me what to do. And, or don't tell me what you think. Even if you're not telling me what to do, don't tell me what to think because I don't like that. And, and the beauty of what they do and travel around and do is like help people process that. And the article that I was reading written by a, name, uh, a guy named Patrick Boyle, the, the headline is this. Getting back to civil discourse will require Americans to be vulnerable and humble. And so rebuke, when we think of this idea of rebuke, it says to us that maybe what you think is right isn't right. Like what you're, you're doing or thinking or, or like your way of looking at things, maybe it's not right. And I wonder if we can think about that in, in civil manner, right? In civil ways. I don't think we do that well. We don't do that well maybe just with one another. But I think it also affects our relationship with God. If, if we sense God saying like, actually, I don't know if you should do that. We don't like it. And so I think we have a lost art there and we have something to learn from people like this who think about how we have civil conversations about things we don't agree with. And so I guess I wanna invite us all in this idea of discipline and rebuke uh, to think of like how we react to God when we sense an invitation to something different than what we think we should say or do. So what it is not, let's go into that. I have a couple of images there. I told you I like movies a lot. So one movie, Whiplash, if you've watched it, about a uh, aspiring drummer who is under the uh, teaching of a very harsh, abusive teacher. And what I would like to present to us is that the discipline and rebuke and correction of God is not abusive, it is not demoralizing, and it is not out to get you. 
And while, if you've watched this movie, the, the teacher uh, here, played by J.K. Simmons, his theory is like, I'm helping the student, but his means don't justify the ends. And I would like to present to you that in scripture, the way God talks about us and his relationship with us, and in these verses we're talking about, that is not the approach. Second movie, Mean Girls. Regina George's mom, if you know who Regina George is, played by Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler here, this character is not a regular mom, if you can read the meme. She's a cool mom. So I wanted to bring the contrast of these two images because what I worry about sometimes is that we, like the church and Christians, we kind of live in like extremes sometimes, I think. Again, these are generalizations, so work with me. But there is a perception in our culture that God is like this on the left-hand side, right? Harsh, demeaning, cramping your style, trying to like really break you down. And I don't think that is what this, the gospel and the scriptures tell us. If you read the full kind of narrative of how God works with his people. But I fear that in reaction to that, sometimes we go like cool mom God, right? And we think God is like, I'm cool with, like, do whatever you want, and it's like, I, I don't care, like, don't work out, don't eat healthy food, like, that's not the case. Uh, we don't want to be a bunch of immature Regina Georges in our lives, and so I, I want to bring that contrast up because I think as we sit with the text and the discipline of God, it's important not to, like, pivot to one reality or the other. So kind of coming to another part of it and kind of, a, I think, almost, almost summarizing, uh, in the verse, uh, in three, uh, Proverbs 3, 11 to 12, it says, do not resent his rebuke. So in the next slide, it says what resent actually means. And I, I sat with this for a long time because I really didn't know that that's what resent meant. So loathing, abhorrence, that, that makes sense. Like, I, I hate the discipline of God. I hate when God tells me what to do. But the sickening dread, I actually didn't know that, and I actually really relate to it. So I, because of my childhood and whatever, like my life experiences, I'm not like a super confrontational person. People might not believe that about me now because I'm a little bit more like, honest and whatever, like, I'm just going to tell you what I think. But in the past, it was extremely non-confrontational, and I didn't want to say how I felt, or I didn't want anybody to tell me what they thought about me, because I had a sickening dread of any type of correction, because you know what? I didn't want to feel worse about myself. So if you tell me something about myself that I know is not right or not great or whatever, just an imperfection because I'm broken and I'm human, but if I hear it, it tells me something about myself that I already don't like, and I hate that feeling, right? It's that sickening dread. And so some of us find ourselves when we have correction or, or, or direction from God that we are like, no, I don't want this. This is... A, I, I, I loathe this. I, I hate this. I'm not into this. But some of us find ourselves in this place of 
actually, like I know this and I really don't wanna hear this because this is really painful to hear. So I learned a lot about confrontation, healthy confrontation or healthy feedback of, of I, I think is a better way of putting it in like my corporate jobs and HR training. And I'm not an HR training, I work in advertising, but the, in, in those settings I've had a lot of HR training as a manager of people or being managed by someone. And you know the managers I've loved the most are the ones who don't surprise you on your review. So, you know, most places I've worked, they have like a yearly review. And, you know, you gotta love when someone has like a whole report about you and none of that stuff like was ever communicated to you like over a period of time. And that happens a lot actually. And it, so you, you get trained to like mitigate those type of situations. And so I actually learned a lot when I heard that because you know, I walked around like, when I talked about that anxious attachment with God, I walked around for a long time worrying what God was gonna tell me about me. And what's really beautiful, I think, about the ways God, the, the God's worked in my life, it's that it's been very surprising and different from that. It hasn't felt like the surprise review. It's actually felt like, oh, hey, every day I give you like guidance and and encouragement and correction, and it all works together. And I, I'm like, I got your back. Like, I'm, I'm, I have your best interests. And, and it's actually surprised me. That's why I say this is good news. In, in the verses, uh, if we go back to it, actually, we don't need to, but in the last verse, it's, in verse 12, it says, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And the more I walk with God, the more I realize oh, he delights in me, like he's not out to get me. And I wanna give you an example of a situation. Years ago, I was in this like Christmas play at my church, I don't know, I was like 10 maybe, and it was a Christmas play and I played an orphan as you do at a Christmas play. And like, I, you know, I had one line, that was my big break. And in this one line, I, you know, it was supposed to be something comical, and I, the way I said it, it just wasn't funny, and nobody laughed, and, it, and so the director, the next day, I, or in rehearsals, yeah, the next day was like, Tina, why don't you try saying it like this? So I did, and I got the laughs, and you know, I wonder if God's correction, I don't wonder, actually, in my own personal experience, I have experienced God's correction as more of a, like, why don't you try this? As opposed to like, you didn't do this right and I'm gonna tell you what you should do right. And, and you know, I, I, we don't need to unpack my baggage as to why I got there. But <laughs> as we sang earlier on, I think there's something so beautiful about how God is our shepherd. And we, we don't need to be wanting and, and we don't need to feel afraid of God. And as in the verses earlier in Romans, this feeling of freedom is our birthright as those who follow Christ. And so we get to say Abba Father in a way that validates us as children of God. So is God gonna sometimes tell us like, hey, I think you're going the wrong way. Yes, because you're his child, I'm his child. And that is just part of that dynamic and relationship. And so, I don't know the complexities of your life, 
I don't know as you hear me speak about all these things, what it makes you feel, think, if you want to throw tomatoes at me or not, or a God. That's okay. We're free beings. We, we have invitation to step into these places of correction and discipline with God. But I, 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 as I was like preparing for this, I had this sense of a few, like a couple of main scenarios that we might find ourselves in. And so as we close, I, I do feel there is this invitation, I'm just recapping actually, uh, sit in the love of God to recognize ourselves as a child of God and accept the kind correction of God. Those were my points. Done with that. Okay. So what I really felt as I was preparing is that we might find ourselves in a couple of different situations. I, I saw this image in, in my preparation of like a child on a sports field or child, teenager, I don't know, work with me. I don't play sports much. So, you know, there's a, there's a kid playing football or some other sport. And then there's a coach, like a dad, who's also a coach because this is how my brain works. And in that scenario, the, the player is, tackle, is like all, all the attack is coming towards them in the game. And the, the player is there. And I feel like some of us identify with that player where everything's coming at them and they almost feel like that is the discipline of God in their lives where God is attacking them. And it's like, oh, it's coming at me. And what I see in that picture is the, the coach is like back here, coach dad, okay? And is, is saying, you know, son, like move, do this, all the sports, like uh, tech terminology that I don't know, but like duck, run for your life, you know, all of those things. And the, the player though doesn't hear that and just feels like this is coming at them and that's God. Do it like if, if we're using the analogy here. And so I, I, as I was preparing, I felt like some of us find ourselves there. And when you hear the word discipline of God, you're like, I want no part of that because this is really hard. Or, or you don't even know if you don't want any part of it. You're just like in it and you feel like it's just charging at you. And I, 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 I sense the invitation of God to look to your side and hear his voice even through the, the, the loudness of, of the crowd and the loudness of the attacks of your opposing team and to know that he is the father, he is the coach and he's cheering you on and he is actually like telling you and, and, and guiding you and the things he's been preparing you like to do that he's prepared you in the past to do, he's actually telling you, like, do that move and this and that. Remember how I taught you this. And so I, I, that is the sense I get for some people in this room that maybe you just need, like, someone to come alongside of you and pray for you because you are living that reality and you're having a hard time seeing where God is. But I also want to encourage you that God is on the sidelines, but he's, like, actively there calling you your name and telling you like you can do this the other image i got is of this idea of like discipline and not really feeling like it so before the pandemic i used to run quite a, like okay I, I actually i told you i'm not athletic so when i 
when I was a kid and they made us do the mile, I ran for like 30 seconds and thought I was going to die and they let me sit it out or walk. It was like that bad. And then I, as an adult, I did couch to 5K. is like the best thing ever and I actually started running. So before the pandemic, I was really like disciplined about running and then the pandemic came and then I was scared like all the like the virus droplets would come to me and then I didn't want to wear a mask and I don't know. Um, so I just stopped. And I, I stopped and one, every now and then I'll just have this inspiration to run, but I haven't like kept with it. And like my pants are telling me that I haven't kept with it. But you know, there are moments that we come to in our lives where we suddenly get up in the morning and we're like, I need to eat better. Like I actually need to make this change or I need to start running again and not like half-hearted running, but I need to like get back into like this or that. And I, I wonder and I sense, and maybe it applies to some of us here, if we have been kind of like in that place of, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go running again, or I, I just don't want to eat healthy anymore. But actually I've done it before and it was actually really good for me. And I know, I know I need to do that again. And maybe in the season, it looks different. So like, I haven't been running, but I'm like trying to lift weights now. And so apparently you can like recompose your body or whatever. But, you know, maybe there's an invitation to do something. Maybe the discipline of God looks different in your life. But you know that like, I can't keep living in this place where I'm not accepting the correction of God or even the loving correction of others. I don't mean abusive correction of anybody, but I, I, the, the loving, kind, caring uh, concern and correction of other people and of God in my life. And so if you're in this place, I also want to invite you uh, to a time of, of, of responding to that. And if there's anything else too, and I want to invite the, the band and uh, the prayer team, but if there's anything else that was spoken today that you're like, oh, I, maybe God is saying something to me about that. We'd love to pray for you. Or if there's someone near you that like you know well and you're just like, can you pray for me? We'd love to do that for you. Or maybe it's just like, I'm gonna sit and worship. I'm gonna be still and sit in that identity of I'm loved by God. I'm known by God. I am a child of God. I just wanna invite us to respond to that invitation.